0: Um, this is the end of this series, and then there'll be two weeks off. There's no Sunday school or early service the next two weeks. So there's a little reprieve can sleep in. Do we know who's going to? We've had some changes next year because of TC Ham and all. Yes. And I, I know Michael and I haven't had the opportunity because of the holidays to meet. So.
1: Yeah. So, oh, wow, that's loud. Hold on. There we go. Can you hear me now? Um, yeah, so because TC Ham um, had some health issues and had to back out of his spring um, classes, um, I've been tr- I've been scrambling trying to get some new folks. Uh, we do have Matt Skolnick. he will be coming and teaching for uh, the whole month of March on the community, what it means to be church, and sacraments, and all those things. So we're very excited to be welcoming him. I'm still in discussions with a few folks. They may um, lock in this coming week um, to teach in the spring. We'll see. Um, But next, the next time we meet will be January the 12th, so that's three weeks from today. And I will be teaching again Um, at present, unless one of these other people I've been talking with says, oh yeah, that's the one I really want. So we're still kind of in flux right now as we, we figure out what's next, but, um, we'll start talking about Jesus Christ, uh, in context and understanding what Jesus Christ and, and the Christ event is all about. So, um, I'm excited for, for the spring, for a new year together. Uh, okay. Uh, New year. I think in semesters. I always will. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so before before we jump in, how about we pray? Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of this day and another opportunity to gather here as your chosen, called-out people in the world. We thank you that your Spirit has brought us here together this morning. Now we pray that your Spirit would open us up to receive from you, from your wisdom, help us to have grace as, and patience as we discuss these difficult topics today, and help us to know that you are with us no matter what, no matter what we understand, no matter the mystery that we face today, you are with us, guiding us, guarding us, watching us, and taking care of us. So be with us, Almighty God, and in this day and in these conversations, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I think almost everyone was here last week. Is that correct? Who was not here last week? Okay, a few folks were not. So let's do just a very quick review. So we are in a two-week series, or in a whole year-long series on theology, right? And the last week and this week, we are talking about Uh, providence and the problem of evil. And we talked all about how those are intertwined. We can't really talk about one without the other. Um, For some reason, that song just came up, Love and the Marriage, right? Um, These these are... When you start talking about how God is involved in the world, how God is taking care of the world, then you start to wonder, but why, why is this happening? Why is if god is really taking care of everything he just didn't right we don't believe god created and then like walked away that's the clockmaker god right that's a theistic understanding of god and creation we don't believe that as christians instead we believe that god is intimately involved but if god is intimately involved why is there evil in the world? Why is there wars? Why do children get sick and die? Why was there the Holocaust, right? All of these, from, from personal, individual experiences to mass global, massive global experiences, the question comes back of, if God's involved, then why? So that's the question of theodicy, the problem of evil. Does everyone have a handout? The same one as last week. Except I corrected those few words that were wrong, right, from my dictation software. So um, we're going to start uh, on page three, reminding us what is theodicy, because that's probably a new word for many folks. Theodicy comes from Greek through French, meaning the justice of God. Um, essentially, it is the the. Uh, is exploring strategies to vindicate God from moral culpability for evil. We don't want to say, "Well, God is evil." We don't want to say that because God is supposed to be the the essence of and the the uh, the highest good of all things, the most holy, the most beautiful, the most righteous. The most God is supposed to be all the good things put together, right? So when we start questioning that, or we start saying God is evil, that's uh, it's problematic, right? It puts our whole faith in doubt and questioning. So we have to come to um, theodicy, which says, well, maybe it isn't God behind this evil. God is not the one doing the evil. And we talked very briefly, I'll go here because I think it is an important thing to think about. In in polytheism, when there's multiple gods, it's really easy to say, well, it's another God that's doing bad things. And you know, this one God's really happy with me, so that's why, you know, I still have my crop, I still have a job and a family, but, you know, I've got this illness, so that must mean that this other God must be mad at me. I did something wrong. That's why that evil's come into the world and into my life. But when you move from polytheism to monotheism, uh, and then Trinitarianism still, right, the idea that God is one, and three and one even, there's no room for saying, well, somebody else did it. And that's why we, um, one of the reasons we can be comfortable with the idea of a personified evil, that is the devil, right? Satan, Beelzebub, there's all different words for, for evil and the personification of evil. But as we talked briefly, briefly about last week, um, the, the Hebrew Bible uses the word Satan, accuser, in many different ways. Lots of people are called Satans in the Old Testament, right? David is called a Satan. Well, that can't be right. Um, The word Satan satan just means accuser. And so we have to trace the origin story of Satan. And um, a traditional understanding actually goes back to a a, a scripture from the prophets, which talks about an angel falling from heaven. And so we... Some centuries and centuries ago, this origin story of the devil came about as a fallen angel. That's just not clearly there in scripture. So it's problematic. But it's easy to say, well, I can't blame God for the bad in the world. So it's almost like the devil has more power because we need someone to blame, right? Okay. I should also remind you that uh, the broad definition of evil, um, evil doesn't have being, right? Um, It is a privation of being. It is a lack of being. We read the quote, and I could find it, but I, I won't even look for it. You can find it later. But the idea that just as darkness is an absence of light and silence, the absence of sound, so evil is the absence of all that is good. And that's important because God created everything, right? So we can't say that God created evil. We have to say God created, and then God said what in Genesis? God looked at his creation and called it good. He didn't say, it's mostly good. There's a little bit of evil. It's mostly good. No, he didn't say that. He said, it's good. It is good. And so... And so we have to recognize that evil is not is is this strange other thing that where God's God's wholeness is not completely made known. Um, and so because of this, there's an I, I don't actually know if I included this quote or not, but the idea that anyone can be purely evil is not possible. Right, Because someone has being, right, and you can't have evil in your whole being, part of you has to be good. There is this idea that you can um, yeah, you cannot have a pure embodiment of evil because there is still some good there because there is still creation so even even if even if we hold to the personhood of evil as as personified in in Satan, we have to admit that. Satan is a is in the traditional understanding a created being from God, and that there is still good in some good in Satan, right? Created good, maybe he's lost his way. Don't know. Okay, middle of page three. Problem of evil. The questions we'll return to these, and then we'll jump into the scriptures here in the middle of the page. There are five questions when we talk about theodicy: the origin of evil, where did it come from, the nature. How does it exist? We've been talking about these already. The problem, what, how does evil pose a problem for theology? The reason, this is the big one, right? Why does God even permit evil and the end of evil? This is something else we have to um, not just wrestle with, but also um, we have to involve in the conversation because it's the undoing of evil. How will God ultimately end evil or bring good out of evil. Okay. So we're first going to we're going to look at all these scriptures very briefly. So I encourage you to grab a Bible, grab your smartphone. Do you have the handout from last week, Judy? I am just on the verge of peeking, aren't I? Okay, we're going to start And Rich has no way to turn me down. We just, if you remember, we just um, updated the sound system, and Brian has everything digitized and digitally available, so we're going to have to accept it for what it is, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to start in Genesis 50, very briefly, in 15 seconds or more. um, Remember, Joseph was one of the 12 brothers and he was, uh, right, he had his coat of many colors. His brothers were all jealous of him. He thought he was really cool. Had this dream where they all bowed down to him. You never tell your, your siblings that, right? I had this dream where you were, like, praising me, and I don't, I don't get it, but it was really great. Don't do that, right? Um, and ultimately, they sell him into slavery. They tell Dad that he just died, and they... they have that, bring back that coat of many colors, covered with blood, and and Dab thinks he's gone. Well, really, all the brothers remember, they, they put him in the pit, thinking, maybe I'll get him later, but then he disappeared, sold into slavery, all this craziness, right? Ultimately, he gets into Egypt, and he gets power, right? He's a powerful, influential person in the land of Egypt, and because of his position, because of his wisdom, um, he saved up food right the the world at this time was in a great famine and joseph saved up food and so to he was protecting um his own people the egyptians at that time but also his brothers came to him without knowing it was him and this is this is the end of the story right the very last chapter of of genesis we pick up on this and joseph is reflecting upon this um so starting in verse 15, I'll read this one. Then we'll find somebody else for the whole book of Job, right? That's, that's next. Uh, Genesis 50, 15. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong we did to him? So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers, the wrong they did in harming you. Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me... God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. So the key verse is verse 20. Let me read it one more time. Even though you intended to do me harm, God intended it for good. Okay. So, what do we understand from this verse? What can we um, pull out and theologize, right? Understanding here there's, there's some bad. There's someone's meaning bad towards Joseph, selling him into slavery. That's not a good thing, right? Um, and then he's later on in his life, he's looking back and saying, you intended me harm, but God intended that for good. So can, can we look back in our own lives and see that there are bad things that we wouldn't wish away? Are there, is there anything we can look back on and say, you know, that was not fun in the moment, but I can, I can not wish that away because it's made me who I am or it's brought this person into my life or it set me down this path that brought me back here and I was better. Does anyone have those moments? Am I the only one? Okay, Rosie. Yeah. 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 So the question is: Did God intend that to happen from the beginning, or did God bring good out of the bad? this This is where it gets, This is where we start to say we can't know. If only we could know the mind of God at all times, right? Um, we can certainly take a guess, and a lot of people do, and a lot of people would say that surely God God allowed those things to happen. It gets real, and, and yeah, good things came out of it. Ultimately, God brings good out of bad. We know that. Our lives are all testimonies to that and testaments to that. But I get I, I get, uh Nervous about putting any language around how God interacted with that in the beginning. Did God make it happen? Probably not. Did God allow it to happen? I don't like that one either. Did God know about it? Well, certainly God knew about it. So it's this is one of those things, right? Middle of page three. Um, reason for evil. Why does God permit it? Does God allow the bad things to happen? Um, and sometimes things that are bad for one person are good for another, right? Um, so there's there's always this, it, it, it's really difficult to clearly say this is good and this is bad. Uh, yeah, for Joseph being cut off from his family at that time, not a good thing. Not a good thing. Ultimately, God brought good from it. Now, that does not mean that we should then take this story as a paradigm and say, well, it's okay to, you know... Uh, it worked for jo- worked out for Joseph in the end, so it's going to work out. God is going to bring good from any bad thing that we do. That's not right, right? It wasn't just from the beginning that Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Um, did God work through it? Yes, but should it have happened in the first place? No, right? That's the problem of justice, um, which also is, is is intimately involved in this conversation. Okay, who wants to read the whole book of Job? Nobody? Okay. We we know the broad story of Job, and I'm not going to read any specific scriptures here, but just remind you broadly of the story. Um, Job, right? It's a big, long book. We've got this beautiful frame story on the outside um, where uh, that, that seems to be related, and there's all this middle material of conversations between Job and his friends and some other people come along, too. Um, a big conversation about um, why do bad things happen, right? And all these terrible things happen to Job. We could list them out, right? His house falls down, his children die, he gets sick. He, all these bad, terrible things happen. And his friends all say, what? What did you do? You did something to deserve this. And he's like, there's nothing. I'm righteous. I pray to God. I do the good things. Come on. Why am I, Why is this happening to me? I don't know. Come, come on. Really, you can tell us. You can tell. What did you do wrong? So there is this sense of, if I do wrong, I deserve bad. If I do good, then. The opposite is, if I do good things, I deserve good things. Is that what happens in the world? No. No. If only, right? But not even that. We don't even want that if only, because we all do bad things, right? All have sinned and fall short of the righteousness of God. So we all do bad things. So we hope that's not true because we think we're pretty good people. And when we do bad, we don't want to be punished for that bad stuff, right? So we hope that that's not true. But yet we are good and sometimes bad stuff happens to us. So we also hope it is true. So there's a strange tension. What Jesus says, let's jump over to Matthew 5. Jesus speaks right into this conversation. Matthew 5:43 Does anybody else besides me want to read it? Thanks, Pam.
2: You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is
1: perfect. Really easy thing to do, right? So uh, it's particularly that verse in there that it says the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous and the sun rises on the evil person and the good person, right? Um, I think that's... I, I see that as being in tension with Job, right? All of his friends are saying, You did something wrong. And here Jesus is saying, Well, good stuff happens to the bad and the good, and good stuff happens to the bad and the good. We liked we we might tell ourselves sometimes that only the the you know only the good die young, right? We have that phrase out there, right? That bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, but why? Because that's contrary to what we expect. That's contrary to the, the expect, expectations um, of of Job's... Well, no, I'm flipping this around, aren't I? No. That Job's friends expect, you're good, good things happen. Bad, bad things happen. But when with it's flipped, it makes better news, right? Oh, this really great person, something terrible happened to them. And this really bad person, right? That's newsworthy. But when a, a good person happens, good things happen to a normal person. Doesn't really make headlines, right? Um, okay. Questions on the Matthew verses there. Let's jump over to Luke thirteen. Who wants to read for us? Okay. On your Bible app? You have a commercial? Oh, Lord.
2: At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent... Unless you repent, where did it go? End of
1: verse 3.
0: Electronic.
2: Yes. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem?
1: No. No. Yeah, I should. It should have been five, but
2: no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did.
1: Okay, so here Jesus is telling us. He's relating a story. Do we don't know what what the circumstances were at this uh, when this tower of Siloam fell on these people? That's all we know. We don't know this from the historical record, but we assume it's a conversa. It's something that's present in everyday conversation, right? That everyone would know about. Um, And so Jesus is referring to this. Talking about um, were they worse. Were they bad people. Because this tower fell on them. Did anyone push over this tower? Probably not. Was it bad construction? Maybe it was an earthquake. We don't really know all the details. But the idea is this is something larger than life. This isn't just one person killing one person. This is a big structure falling and killing 18 people. This is, this is tragedy, senseless tragedy. Um, and so did God do this, right? Um, and so we, from this, um, we can also talk about bigger topics, right? There are certain televangelists, I won't name who, um, who claim that hurricanes are, uh, you know, directed towards places where there is great evil, Um, like the Haiti earthquakes of a few years. Earthquakes and hurricanes, excuse me, I'm mixing up words here. Hurricanes and earthquakes, right? Um, That these are targeted judgments of God against particular people because, well, there's voodoo and there's all these other sexual sins and drugs and all this. (sighs) What is Jesus saying here? These... Now this is not granted this is not a natural occurrence a tower is not a natural thing. He's not talking about earthquakes, he's not talking about hurricanes. But do they were they worse off offenders? No. Just what what I what if I could put words into Jesus's mouth here I I would say sometimes it just happens. Right? No one's at fault. Nobody made this happen. Nobody wanted those 18 people to get killed. It just happened. Let's jump over then to John 9. There we go. Okay, John 9, uh, 1 through 14. Anybody there? Anybody want to read this one?
3: Um, As he walked along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world... I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which meant scent, which means sent. When he went and washed, he came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had, been, who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is it not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. Then he said to him, they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees, the man who had been, who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes.
1: Okay. Thank you, Catherine. So here again, we have another sense of something's not right. Evil is, there's so many things that fall into this broad category. Is it evil that this man was born blind? I don't know that it's evil, but it's not good, right? This is what we talked about that spectrum last week from things that are, you know, good to meh to all the way over to really terrible evil. There's a big wide spectrum here. And certainly it's not a good thing uh, that this person's been born blind. But then we we start talking about the questions of why did this happen? Where did this bad thing come from? Right. Uh, and we know enough in modern science um, that there sometimes thing, are things that happen, genetic things that just happen, right, that we wouldn't say, well, God meant that to happen because um, you know you two had a child and you had this recessive trait and you had this recessive trait and came together and look at that that's we wouldn't say that's God at work we would say that's just product of genetics right um, and here sometimes there are things that happen in utero that aren't expected right uh, now that he has been born healthy I can say Nathaniel had a strange thing that we found out about in the pregnancy. He had a uh, persistent right umbilical vein. The craziest of things, right? After four weeks, this is a little side story I'm going to tell you anyways. Um, after four weeks, the umbilical cord, the right vein is supposed to go away and the left vein supposed to take over. Who knew this? I didn't know this a year ago. And um, for Nathaniel, for whatever reason, the left vein never came on. So the right vein stayed open the whole time. So we had all these extra visits to ultras to ultrasounds to make sure he was healthy. Good chance that there was going to be something wrong, right? We just didn't know. Um, would that have been God at work making that happen? No, some fluke. Not even, the doctors don't know why it happened. We don't. Even, I didn't even know that there was a thing that could have happened a year ago. Um, and so, was this man born? Blind because his parents sinned? Was it their problem? What does Jesus say? Oh, where was the verse? Thank you. Well, so... Jesus said, Oh, there it is, verse three. So neither this man nor his parents sinned. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the first part that we have to establish, right? So the question is, just like Job's friends, who's at fault here? Why did this happen? So that's the first first hurdle, right? Nobody sinned that this happened. Um but yeah, so then we've got to get into the the stickier, trickier part of he was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. This starts coming back to Rosie's question of earlier. Do we we understand bad things to happen because God's going to bring good out of them? Yes. uh, This is, again, this is where it gets tricky, right? This is why this is not an easy, cut-and-dry conversation, because... We do, just like back with Joseph. We saw good things come out of the bad. Here, right, this is a great end of the story. This man who was born blind is now seeing. He has his sight restored. Thanks be to God. Same kind of thing, even though the conversation's not had there. Same thing with Lazarus, right? Um, Jesus waits all those extra days because he needs Lazarus to die so he can raise him, right? He could go and heal him. Without him having to die, but he doesn't, so that God's glory may be made manifest. <sighs> but it's tricky because we sit here not being in that story, not being involved, and in saying, "Well, wait a second—that's that seems seems a little fishy." Sue, did you want to add something? Yeah. Oh, absolutely! Yeah,
4: it's good when things are going swimmingly well. God can make good out of that, too. Does that make sense?
1: Say that one, Say that last part one more time. Well,
4: we think that things are good when things are thus and such and going sure. along the way we want. Right. And we presume that God's that's God's goodness doing it. But right. God can make something out of that goodness just as he can make something out of what we perceive as yeah. badness.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
4: So it's not... It's our perception about what is good and what is bad because we can be just as wrong about what is good yeah. as we can be as wrong about what is bad. Yeah. It's what threatens our existence, our comfort, our will that we can perceive as evil.
1: And so it's our understanding of the world, our perception, our own story. Yeah, I, case in point, I'm not actually going to get into the politics of it all, but listening to the hearings in the House this last week, wasn't it fascinating that there was such a divide by political party and that they said, obviously, this is wrong. And they said, obviously, it's not. What's right or wrong? I'm not one to say that. Um, but what I am saying is, was not it interesting that their perspective, their perception, their place has dictated where... They, they end up on that perception, is this evil? Is it not evil and that's a that's a hard uh right a hard thing to add into this. Where are you for that man? I'm sure this man born blind would have loved to have been seeing from birth, but you can't go back in time and change it and that's also part of the thing is we have this perspective of it's not us, but we also you know. I can say, as I, as I opened up uh, the uh, the class this morning to say, aren't there things in our life that we look back and say, man, that was not so great, but I wouldn't wish it away. Maybe for this man born blind, he's like, you know what? Yeah, I was blind for a while, but I have other enhanced si- uh, senses now. I My hearing is better than anyone else, and I can hear when something's, you know, that kind of a thing. Where is God in this still? I don't quite No, particularly coming back to that fourth question, did God permit this to happen? What's the reason behind it? I don't know. Dan.
0: So um, I hope this doesn't come as a shock to anybody, Um, but I had a pretty exciting event occur. Pam and I had the opportunity to reunite with uh, the residents in my class. Now, when I trained in orthopedics, it was a four-year program. So I was the freshman and I had a senior resident junior. You get it, right? So all four of us were together by circumstance at, a, at a, a conference, and in the middle of a steakhouse, very busy and loud, my senior resident leans over to me and says, "Hey, Dan, are you saved? Do you believe?" Now Jean was a Vietnam vet, a very, very fun-loving guy, not a bad person, but very fun-loving, um, and very outgoing. Uh, his wife is a gynecologist, and, and they actually started breeding horses. He got out of orthopedics for a while and came back. And and I said, well, Gene, I am. I said, I'm so excited that you would ask me that question. Maybe not here, but I, uh, tell me what, what <laughs> happened to you. He said, Dan, I got back in orthopedics, and I just loved it, and things just weren't right. I wasn't getting the outcomes I wanted. Now, he wasn't getting the outcomes as an orthopedic surgeon. What does that mean? You know, Were, were people not doing well? Or was he just being frustrated by that didn't go smoothly, or what? he never got into it? He said, "But I finally sat down one day and I said, "God, I can't do this by myself. I'm just giving you my practice, and, and I just can't do this anymore." And he says, "You can't believe the difference in what's happening to my patients and the way I feel and my practice." He says, "I'm a believer." And I, and I, I, I was just amazed at that story from someone that I knew and loved, hadn't seen for years had no real intimacy with this man since way back when. And uh, he came up with that. And uh, if that isn't a question, you know, did God let bad things happen to people? Or was they just didn't turn out quite so good? Were they correctable or not correctable? He never told me. But look what a difference his struggles made in the practice of medicine to where he goes from here. And how the next group of patients afterwards are are treated. Was it bad or evil? I don't know. But it was certainly a change of heart.
1: So I I have these... Yeah, there's about 10 different places I can go with your story, Dan. Thank you for sharing that. I, lo- I love that. So the, t- the story ties in, I think, to, first of all, perception. Because, um, I mean, we could, do, we could do a study of, you know, success rates, whatever that looks like in orthopedics, and versus, you know, pre-prayer pre, um, and post-prayer. I don't know what that is. But there is certainly a sense of um, seeing, trusting in God, having more grace with yourself. There's a sense of being in God's mercy and love changes your world. Now, if I were to do a scientific study of, of his patients and are they better or not? I don't know that. I don't, I don't know. Um, but, but at the very, very least his position, his perception, his trust and faith, those have changed him. um, I love those stories and I struggle. One of my biggest struggles is when I preach, and uh, just a little sermonette, uh, the food, clothing, and prayer ministry. Because for many of those people, um, they, they've tried. They've done all they can do to be good people, to be good parents, to um, be contributing citizens in the community, do what they can do and... Here the rain has fallen, both on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And I stand there a few times a, a month, right, um, and proclaim hope and, you know, God is with you and God is for you, and, but their lives don't evidence those things. They don't, they are, many of them are in the place of Job, right, at the lowest point of his story, wondering, when is this going to get better? Why is God not with me? And so I, I draw your story and their story in to Jesus's comments of Matthew five, that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous and the sun shines. I think I'm mixing it up. The sun shines on the, the, the good and the evil, that there is this, it's not as clear cut as we want it to be. Yeah. Rain on the righteous and unrighteous and sun rises on the evil and the good. Edith.
5: So I I came in a little bit late, but I'm I'm wondering how much um the discussion in Genesis of the fall factors into this. Right. That you know, when Paul talks about all of creation groans waiting for the restoration, that it it when we're looking for like one source, um I think that sets us up for n- one answer isn't going to fit all the circumstances. Right. And and whether it's disease that yes we can do things that contribute to disease and yet sure. disease exists whether we are, you know, runners and never smoke or not, right? right? And so I think that comes back I mean even earlier scripturally to say you know, God acknowledges, here's the consequences of sin, and you now live in a fallen world, in all of creation. Not just us, but the earth itself right. is not right.
1: We didn't tackle creation too much. We did, t- in this conversation, because the rabbis tackled it a few weeks ago. Um, before I get too far away from your comment, I, your comment, I, I, I will highlight something that I think is applicable to the whole this whole class is that there is no one-size-fits-all answer. Um, why does evil happen? There are lots of answers. And where is God in all of that? So we... Uh, but coming back to creation and the fall, we haven't talked a great deal about it here because it, it was addressed in some ways in the creation class. Um, in some ways. Um, but even there when we're dealing with these theological questions of the origin of evil, um, just starting there in the garden, um, we we talked briefly last week about, you know, where does this snake come from? Christian tradition says this is some embodiment of Satan, but that's not there in the text. So what do we do with that? If this is a created being who is tempting, right? If, if the idea is, before that moment when the, the fruit is eaten, everything is all good, where'd that being come from? Where did that creature get his ungoodness, his lack of goodness, right? Uh, right because evil or bad is the lack of good. So where did that being come from? Uh, and that's a really hard thing to figure out. So I, I, I get stuck at that pl- point because I don't even know how to make it beyond that because... If God said everything is good, and then we have the snake that's not so good, um, but God said all this, you know, what do we do with that? Catherine, did you have something to add to that?
3: So, um, oh wow, the <laughs> um, I had a whole class this semester on theodicy. So we talked.
1: You should be up here instead of me.
3: (laughs) So, um, but we talked a lot about these healing stories and about how people love to preach these healing stories, but then thinking about if there are people in your congregation who are blind, who are deaf, who are sick or whatever, is this good news to say Jesus is coming and is going to heal you if you're continuing to suffer and, and what if they're not healed before they die and how is, how would we faithfully make the, preach this? So one of my big questions that was not answered in this class was um, what are the promises really that Jesus is making? Is Jesus' promise here about physical healing, or how much is it something deeper than that? But the healing is the, mere, the miraculous, you know, more supernatural miraculous thing. And so that's what people talk about. But... Um, but yeah, after thinking about it in that way of is this good news to those who are currently suffering, I, I start to wonder if we're focusing on the wrong thing in this story.
1: I think we love healing stories. We love miracle stories, right? They preach easily, because, yeah. but too easily to a point. And um. I'm reminded of something I just read this last year from N.T. Wright, who really points out that the healing stories are not so much about that healing story as much as it is about Jesus as God returning to Israel and seeking to restore the people of Israel. And so the ways that he interacts and heals and loves and shows God's mercy and grace to people, it's all about restoring them. Um, And in in the eschatological, ultimately the eschatological sense of God is restoring the people Israel back, and this is kind of a stepping stone. So that a year ago, before I read that book, I would have said, "Oh, it's just a healing story," and now I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> there's a whole lot more to this. Yeah. It's it fits into a broader uh, tapestry of how God is at work with the whole nation. We see it in our individualistic eyes as Jesus healed this one guy." N.T. Wright pulls us back and says, no, look at the whole. What is Jesus doing for everyone? Jesus is restoring them. And sure, there is physical blindness, but it's also a spiritual blindness that, you know, in that Mark 8 story, um, well, Mark 8, there's another healing uh, blindness. And it's it's paired beautifully, that Mark and Sandwich, with um the story of the disciples who are blind. They're like, can you not see? I just healed this guy. Can you not see? Um, So there's a sense that there's more going on. Yeah. More to add to that? Is there a question, Sue? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is God more interested in our hearts or is he more interested in our eyes? Sure. You know, is it, is it everybody gets their sight back? Or is mm-hmm. the blindness open the windows, the eyes to the soul? Is, and, and to me, God is more interested in our hearts than our physicalness. He uses our physicalness to do things in the world. But in reality, what he's really interested in is our hearts. We can give, but if we don't have a joyful heart, we're not giving. Yeah, it, it always goes back to a priority to me, and God's a got a principle, and that principle is I'm more interested in your heart and your relationship to me than I am your hands and your eyes.
1: Yeah, there's certainly this sense that what is what is God's perception in place in all of this.
0: Um, Gene is 71 years old. He took him that long to wow. <laughs> to get his change know. of heart. Yeah, but to me, even at, at 71, that was more important than all yeah. the work he had done all those years. And I yeah. know he had good results. Oh, sure, that. sure, sure. But the but, point is that's, that's the, yeah. to me, that was more important and it was mm-hmm. more important to him. Yeah. This
1: change of heart. Of course. There's so many places I could go. I'm trying to figure out where to go. Um, looking at the clock though, I think we, uh, I'm actually going to get us back to our packet here. Cause there's a lot more that we can get into uh, this is on page four. Um, I'm not going to get into all of this. Um, but I've been reading this fabulous book, uh, by Fleming Rutledge called Advent. Um, this Advent, um, I'm still reading it. It's quite a, quite a long book, lots of sermons and it's phenomenal. And one quote here that I want to read to you is, um, in the middle of that page, she writes—and actually, she's quoting someone else, so it's not actually her, but it's good. A crucial difference between wrong and evil is that people are implicitly in charge of the universe in which rights and wrongs are discussed. People have systems of laws to right wrongs, but evil—and this is a helpful distinction, I thought— evil implies a different universe controlled by extrahuman forces— Wrong is a human offense that suggests that reparation is possible. Wrong is not mysterious, but evil suggests this mysterious force that may be in business for itself, and may may explain human agency as part of the larger cosmic conflict between God and Satan. Okay. Uh, These are all good quotes, but read read them on your own time. But we are going to, and actually the whole quote there at the bottom, um, again, comes from Scott here, whose Pathways and See at Theodicy, we've been using a lot, and that talks a lot lot about where evil comes from. This is one of my, and the top of the next page, though, um, this is probably one of my favorite quotes from this book that I'd never heard before that I think is a very helpful in this discussion as it relates to the humanity broadly. Um, so Alexander Solzhenitsyn astutely observes the line between good and evil lies not between us and them, but within each of us. So we can't say well, they're evil and I'm not, but the line between good and evil is actually within us, right? If only it were so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere, insidious, committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. Well, that's kind of what we do in the prison system, right? We say they are evil. They have done bad things. Let's separate them from the rest of us. Um, But the... hmm, That cannot be the right word. That dictation software is going to be the death of me, I swear. I don't know where that one word came from. It should be, but the line, don't know where load came from, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. I think that is some, that's pretty compelling, right? Um, but there is this sense of every one of us has capacity to do good and to do bad. Okay. Um we are going to jump down to the the three main paradigmatic theodical systems. And I'm zooming through this, but uh very bottom of page five. Um oh, I wish you know what? Yeah. I've got time. That's that's a little fast, isn't it? Nope. Okay. Uh, first I'll I'll talk about the classic trilemma of theodicy, is that we're always discussing and holding these three things in um intention. We know and we affirm God is all-powerful. We know and affirm that God is all-good. And we know and affirm that there is evil in the world. But how do we hold all of these together? We can't. It's hard. Um, We can only really hold on to two before we hit a snag. Um, But this is, what I say here is it's kind of Um, two-dimensional. There is we understand already that Jesus has vanquished evil in his death and resurrection, but there's this, there's this precious meantime where it's not all the way gone. Evil's still allowed to be, not be, because it's not being evil is allowed to uh, not exist. I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay. So, um, even though Christ has conquered over evil, ultimately presently, evil still holds on. So, Um, yeah, I've got enough time for this. So there are three big systems, and this is coming, again, back to Scott. The free will defense um, says that people, we are the ones who are guilty for evils because God has given us free will. And so rather than saying, well, where did this evil come from? Well, it came from God. Well, we can't say that. The free will defense says... Well, no, God gave us free will. He opened a way for bad things to happen. We humanity, other people, step into that that gap of the free will and and do bad things, whether intentionally or unintentionally and that is again, this is not a one one size fits all model. this is for some things right um, This does not work for for uh, cancer, lung cancer when you never smoked a day in your life right this doesn't work um But the idea here is that God allows free will, and we choose evil. Uh, Soul-making theodicy is probably one of my favorites, although it still struggles completely. Um, It argues that suffering is necessary for our own development, right? This is um, the story of of Joseph, right? He, He needed to have that time away, and he looked back and said, my life is better for it. Your lives are better for it. Were not that to happen, the Israelites probably could have died out, right? There, there, if there was that famine and Joseph wasn't there, hoarding and saving food for all those years, Israel could have died, right? Um, so that's in the big way. But in the individual way, this soul-making theodicy says that suffering is necessary for our own development. I'm going to skip over process theodicy because it's... It's hard to understand in two seconds. Skip to the top of six. I've quoted this in a sermon before, I don't know, probably two years ago. So it, it probably doesn't sound familiar because it's been two years. But um, this is from uh, Marilyn McCord Adams, who just passed a few years ago. Um, she was a philosopher and a priest, and she talks about the afterlife um, Specifically, the, quote, incommensurate good of the beatific, how do you say that, beatific, beatific, okay, vision, thank you, and she writes, in my opinion, suffering cannot seem a wise, justifiable, or loving, redemptive strategy, except when embedded in the larger context of the Christian worldview, again, perspective, perception, right, if we're just looking at our own life, And what we experience, it's not enough. We have to step back and take the whole in. She argues that ultimate human felicity, happiness, right? Hinges on the face-to-face encounter with God in the afterlife. An experience of eternal intimacy that will engulf the horrendous evils of life. As she explains in profound, provocative passage in Horrendous Evils. And this is the passage that I just love. Retrospectively... This is how we started the class, right? Retrospectively, from the vantage point of heavenly beatitude, human victims of horror will recognize those experiences as points of identification with the crucified God and not wish them away from their life stories. God's identification with suffering enables our identification with God through suffering. So the moments we wish away from our lives will take... Uh, on a new significance in the afterlife and we will understand them fully and see God face to face. And Adams argues the beatific vision recasts our perception of temporal suffering which negatively will pale into insignificance by contrast to our future glory and positively align our suffering with Christ's imbuing it with eternal personal significance. I should probably put a pin in the class and stop there. But I will say that this idea that God in Christ came to us, I can't can't let that go. That is the heart of the gospel, right? Jesus came to be with us. That's why we celebrate Christmas. But we celebrate Easter um, as well. We have to hold that always in tension, realizing that the suffering of Christ, that in Christ's suffering our suffering makes more sense and that in our suffering we are brought closer to christ there is this sense that um, all suffering um, draws us to the heart of god now that jesus has gone through death and resurrection um, and i'll end with this madeline lengel quote here at the bottom because you got to end with lengel if you can God doesn't stop the bad things from happening. That's never been part of the promise. The promise is, I am with you. I'm with you now until the end of time. So may that promise and that hope always be on our hearts. In the good days, in the bad days, in the suffering, when we feel like God is distant and far, may we remember that he is indeed with us. Making us, shaping us, loving us, even when we do not know it. Let us pray. Great God, we thank you for that promise that you are always with us. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be with us. And as Isaiah says, Emmanuel, we know God is with us in big and small ways in every day. Help us to recognize your presence and help us to reach out to you Even when we feel you are so far, you are nearer than our breath. Help us to recognize that. Be with us this day and through this season. Especially, Almighty God, we pray for those who are hurting, those who are suffering, those who do not know your wholeness, your shalom, where justice does not reign. Those who are grieving, those who are distant from family, those in prisons, in hospitals, all around the world, where it seems as though evil has taken hold, where evil reigns. Give us all eyes to see your spirit at work, and help us to know that evil does not have the final say, but that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again, and evil will be vanquished for all time.